Welcome, um, Radio FM 88. This is a Thursday night here in Queensland, just gone past seven o'clock. And um, tonight's uh, introduction is uh, courtesy of um, my colleague here, Julia Chai, and she's brought forward Mauricio Murillo. And I have to say, just sitting in the studio, listening while we're putting the studio together, it's been an awesome experience, and we're in for a treat for those people who are into agricultural sustainability and um, more importantly, anyone who's wished to have a home-based garden or maybe acreage or maybe just wants to work with people, I think it's well worth watching the show and then spreading the news. So with all that, I'll um, hand it over to uh, my colleague, Julia. Thank you, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Welcome to tonight's Dreaming the New Dream. We're delighted to have Maurizio Murillo, my Colombian friend, who is also the co-founder of FIBO, join us tonight. Now, the reason we have brought in Maurizio is because we um, know among our audience um, there are a lot of people who are interested in agricultural sustainability, uh, climate change, etc. We had a couple of months ago, we had uh, Joy Foley up who had spent all year being plastic free and um, was uh, setting up a forest permaculture garden. And uh, we're following that interest up now, of course, because the dream is for humanity to live in harmony and sustainably with uh, nature. And one of the new trends, you know, that I've certainly noticed as a former economist is that there's this word called upcycling, which is about um, taking what was normally traditionally treated as waste and um, creating that, adding value to that into products. And some of it is um, is new in innovation and some of it is taking old traditional techniques that have been in. So Maurizio, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for inviting me today. Yep. Great. So just as an introduction, I mean, when I first met you, you told me that you, you've been studying agriculture as doing a master's in Colombia and you ended up working with the organic mountain coffee growers and that you helped them in, you know, they had a difficulty because they were quite small being on the mountains. They wanted to be organic, but at that time, companies, buyers like Sara Lee were not interested many, many years ago. That's right. That's true. When I met you, um, a long time ago, I think 10 years, uh, we were talking about this, um, basic problems of 91% uh, of the coffee is waste. Basically the fruit, the leaves, and the coffee itself um, is a lot of waste. And we, I pursue um, a research when I was doing my master's and I found that 41 different new products can be done. And there is a neglection about uh, how the the research has been done basically because it's more about uh, the beans uh, use and the roasting and all about the brewing, but nobody talks about the benefits of the fruits and the mucilage and the skin and, and the leaves and the flowers and all the timber, which they had huge value. Um, I think it's um, now is a good time to start thinking about upcycling all this agricultural waste from coffee and other crops. Yes. Mm. So, um, in terms of you know sort of coffee, it is is it actually a crop that's traditional to Colombia originally, or was it introduced? 
Coffee was introduced into Colombia in the 1800s, um, and they've been growing coffee all around Colombian mountains. And for whatever reason, Colombia is the only country in the world that produces crops every every 20 days in, the, in different parts of the regions. Uh, you can crop all year round. There are big crops and medium crops, but all the all the year you can crop coffee, and it's well known to be in the, the best or the most soft uh, coffee. And a lot of people use it as a as a filler, as a bulky coffee or instant coffee, but um, they don't know that there are more than 600,000 families they live from coffee, and uh, they are in a slavery cycle because they depend of the Colombian Coffee Federation and Colombian Coffee Federation only manage everyone and they pay whatever they, they want to pay. And that's basically why we need to in, encourage people to start uh, doing the upcycling and using other byproducts. They have more value as well. Okay, so they by, um, by adding value or selling um, byproducts from the coffee, that will help the farmers because they're not making enough money. You, I mean, you were saying using the term slave, they're not making enough money to support themselves with no. the current system of buying coffee. They, they're not making enough money. And I basically, to give you just one example, um, one ton of uh, coffee timber in the market is the most um, fine timber and it could cost around $5,000 uh, already uh, fix or polish or whatever, and they normally burn all the timber every year. They they cut um, twenty percent of the of the plant and they burn everything. And this is a, a byproduct, basically just the timber. Just to mention one. On top of that, they they pollute the rivers with the mucilage and the skin and the fruits because they are very rich in nutrients, but once you're in contact with water, they will kill all the fish and everything else. They they use it sometimes for composting. Composting is a good source for feeding the plants, but I think people in their minds, I think this is the only solution to use the waste for composting. They don't understand it. Then if you crop the plant, not just the fruit, but the plant and the and the residues you can obtain amazing byproducts, and this byproducts uh, process can give uh, maybe twice or three times the income of the normal oh. crop. Okay. Mm. So you mentioned the timber, and then today you brought us a beautiful jar of cascara tea. Yes. And um, I'm just going to open it up because I'd heard about this, but I didn't have any. So yes. it, it kind of looks like sort of plum, pop, you know, plum rose leaves. And this is actually made from the coffee fruit itself, yes. the skin, is it? This is the coffee skin and the flesh. Uh, we have a system in fiber. We dry uh, before um, eight hours because otherwise it could be very toxic. And the process needs to be quick, and um, and we try to obtain a good uh, concentrated antioxidants, and you can drink it as a as a as a tea. It's very good for your guts, and it's uh, very good for digestion, and, <laughs> and give you a lot of antioxidants. Antioxidants. Sorry, Jeff's just about to have his first sip of cascara tea. Have you tried it yet, Jeff? I have, and have I'm you? a tea connoisseur, so it's really quite. 
It's got something to it, doesn't it? So it reminds you me. For me, it was like it was a cross between oolong and plum. Actually, is what it reminds me. Of. And then it's got a yeah, it's got that sort of nice smoky flavour. Well, it's definitely refreshing. No question about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> and it's good for our guts, so that's great. Yeah, and it can be drink a cold or hot, whatever you prefer. I drink it all. <laughs> if you're laughing, but you could always sell it to an Asian if it's good for you, okay? <laughs> Actually, we we have very good response. We we've been we've been testing uh, this cascada for the last year, and um, people love it. People love it because it's good for for make your mind very sharp, and also cleans your guts and, and help with the digestion. Yes, and. That's, that's good. <laughs> so in terms of if people want to try it out, um, you, I mean, with the Colombian coffee farmers, you did start off, you know, you've done set up a couple of different enterprises, but you started off with your website where you uh, people are actually able to buy directly from you and therefore directly from the farmers cutting out the um, multinationals. Is that right? We start um, assisting of um, selling um the, we buy directly from the producers, uh, in this case, organic and sustainable coffees, natural coffees. And from those uh, producers, uh, we pay a higher price as, as like uh, people don't, in the international New York exchange market, the price maybe is $1.50 per pound. Uh, we normally pay 2 or $3 per pound or sometimes four dollars, uh, American dollars, and we import it. And basically, uh, when we roast, we we sell it to uh, specialty roasters. And whatever we sell, we recover one dollar per kilo, and we send it back for our foundation to for kids to to become coffee farmers, and they become baristas and trainers. Yeah. Okay, so you have a foundation, and it's kind of is a fair fair trade st structure. It is like it's called Fundemos. It's um, yeah, that's a uh, FIBO structure. Yes, um, with FIBO, we, we, we work with different ways, agricultural ways. Uh, FIBO means um, farming innovation by process operation. Uh, we our main products are coffee, um, pineapple, and sugarcane. Uh, in Australia, we focus a lot in the coffee and pineapple. In pineapple, you can obtain a lot of um, fibers from the leaves, and you can obtain some dry fruits as well from the pineapples. They are uh, basically seconds, or they, you, they cannot sell it in the market. It's still uh, edible and still good. And we are in process of researching a little bit, obtaining um, other uh, bromelain and, and other proteins as well. Yes. Yeah, for our international viewers, I mean, if you live in Queensland, as everybody kind of equates you to being a pineapple grower, <laughs> sugar cane. So we've got plenty of pineapples. We used to export them. I'm just going to put bring up pictures of the the farm that you're working at. That's and um, the beautiful shirt, which is, looks like the one that you're wearing. Is that the same thing? It is the same same fabric. Uh, it's made with a 30% pineapple leaf fiber, which is called PALF, and 70% organic uh, cotton. The benefit of the PALF is that it um, doesn't pollute the environment and it's um, only used one liter of water per kilo. 
and basically it's very sustainable and it's a waste, it's for free. Then what we're doing is, is cropping the, the fiber and getting return to the farmer, cleaning the crops, and basically giving the opportunity for the farmer to leave the soil rest without uh, any insecticides or herbicides or fumigants <clears throat> that will clean totally the soil and make it more productive. Even 30% of production can increase in the farm. Yeah, that's really exciting because I know that the cotton farmers are under a lot of fire because, you know, we've obviously had droughts and um, cotton growing yes. takes up a lot of water and I think they're feeling threatened and they're being encouraged by the government to um, to switch, you know, or to, to um, become more sustainable. So by adding, buying waste from neighbouring pineapple farms, mixing that into clothes, that would be um, a better way, would it? Will be an excellent solution, yeah. I, I think Australia has the potential to mix at least 20 or 30% of the, of the pineapple leaf fiber and produce with the cotton an excellent material for to export um, everywhere or just produce uh, some textiles if they want to do it. The quality is amazing, strength is stronger, it's more, um, lasts longer, um, it's easy to dye with natural products, um, it's plus, plus, plus benefits everywhere, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not an, it's not new. I mean, the the making shirts from pineapple fiber is, is quite big in the Philippines, isn't it? So there's it's yes. not a new thing that you have to invent. You know, no. there, you have a textile industry that can actually deal with that and probably could do with the work. Have you joined up with any teams uh, textile yes. factories in the Philippines? How did you go about that? Yeah, we 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 were to the Philippines and talked to the government. Uh, uh, Fiber Research Institute, and they they send us to the factories where they produce all the textiles. Um, but they they cannot produce too many textiles because uh, all the technology is is a manual labor, and uh, they takes long very long to to extract the fiber. Then that's why we develop a systems for extraction. Uh, special machines, the corticators with uh, 10 times more capacity to, for production with uh, not uh, too many people working around, 20, 30 people. We're just uh, doing with one or two people and we can produce until 1.3 tons of puff um, a day. Okay, and that's got application, the fiber. I mean, you know, I, I remember when Volkswagen announced that they were going to use banana tree fiber in their cars everybody got in europe got really excited is yes. that sort of um are you exploring um applications in the automotive and industrial area as well we are thinking to explore some composites mix of um, pineapple and banana to use in uh, cars uh, but um, basically um, still very polluted in some cases bananas uh, they don't have the quality yet and the process needs to be refined. But I will say soon, definitely is a new trend to use um, uh, banana leather, pineapple leather, vegan leather, uh, just name it. Everything could be more uh, sustainable and more clean, yes. And in terms of making, inventing these machines, are you getting any government support in terms of uh, exploring these new uh, upcycling options for the 
Queensland um, Agriculture? Unfortunately, um, we've been paying everything from our own pockets. Um, I'm lucky that um, we have another company called Mr. Coffees, and that company is, is almost paying everything. We, we got an incentive we call R&D, which is research and development from government, mm. which is a return of some taxes. Mm. Um, yes, we, we try to employ at least 10 people at the moment, but um, since the coronavirus make us stop 10 different pro uh, projects, we we had to cut uh, staff and, and it has oh, been okay. tough. Yeah, yeah, I'm really surprised because I would have thought, you know, I knew you were at UQ for a long time and I, I would have thought that the government would actually be encouraging this kind of um, investing in this kind of I, work. I shouldn't say this, but uh, normally, um, Yes, there are lots of fans, uh, but uh, they there is proof of concept, and we're still in the, in the R and D, and the majority of the research is funded through universities, and they have to do a big deep research. Well, this one I I know I I apply my knowledge, and I have internship people working for us, and they have the knowledge, the experience, the research. Um, we apply for many, many uh, grants, but never we get success. Do you get frustrated? I mean, you know, you've got this dream. You're, you know, you're having to fund it yourself. You've got this dream of using, uh, upcycling, you know, existing resources. Sort of, yeah, what drives you to, you know, you know, I mean, you could just keep on selling coffee and not worry about this. But what, <laughs> what, what keeps you going, Maurizio? Um... I think uh, what it drives me towards this project is is to see all the goodness of and benefits of the byproducts and and see how um, people are neglected by by the information and they they should get a little bit more information um, even without help from government. Um, I think we still pursue. Will take us a long time, but. If we, we will get some funds or anything, definitely we got we were approached by Chinese uh, enterprises uh, last month. I hope these people will help us. Looks like they're very keen, and also we have some experimentation in Colombia, and even Colombian government is is going to give us some some funds. But still, we need to to put the application towards an Australian company and to be recognized in Colombia and be like a joint venture with a Colombian company. So Register, well. yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Jeff, you've got the, hey, we need to raise $600,000 page up there. I mean, when you're always going out with a begging bowl and someone steps up to say, we'll cover your expenses, I mean, there's always a hook in it. What do they want? So. <laughs> Like a bank, you know, they want the mortgage and they want you to take mortgage insurance. You know. I guess they want the IP. Is that what's stopping you from cutting a deal, Maritza? Sorry? <laughs> is that what's been stopping you from cutting a deal? Is that they, the others want the IP? You know, people. We have the IP um, uh, uh, register or is registration now, uh, a, a new innovation and technology. Um, we've been working with uh, some Australian. Uh, lawyers, they they help us with the IP, but the cost of paying the IP will will. I mean, if we just cover the IP, we we will finish with no research, with nothing. <laughs> it's too expensive. 
Then, yes, we, we cover the system, the method, and, and one or two basic um, new designs. And But we still need to, to create a little bit better prototypes. And we are in that process at the moment, yes. Mm. Okay, so the um, the funding that you're currently looking for is that for the pineapple fiber machines, or at the moment yeah. we are pursuing the the, the pineapple fiber uh, research machines. Yes, um, that's the main one at the moment, mm -hmm. and we're trying to pursue a cropping in situ as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. a cropping in what? Processing in the farm yeah. while the farmer is finish the crops, yeah. the harvest, we can come. Uh, behind and crop uh, all the all the plant waste, agricultural waste, and we can process all the byproducts, and we can create like uh, raw materials for different industries. We can provide that material for different companies to to produce different materials as well. Yeah, yes. I mean, I just love that because it's um you know it's not you know having to cre create a new material using existing material grown by nature or plant material, plant fiber. This is so natural, and it's 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 growing locally, and it's there. We just actually need to collect it. And I'm I'm kind of inspired because you know I know that the vineyard industry and the grape they've done that as well. They've done it with grape seeds extracts, and then they take the grape fruit, the actual skins, and they sell that to the feed lot industry as well to feed the cows. So you know the more that we can use, you know, fifteen percent of a whole crop being used is not enough, really, is it? No. <laughs> Very little, yeah, mm. yeah. So, what are the farmers, the Australian farmers? You're working with a couple of farmers. What what kind of people are we're they lucky that... with some local farmers uh, from Kabulcha area? Um, Sam's um, farm, um, he's an Italian background, he worked with his wife, and and he has few people working for him as well, and um, he's supporting us in ways that in kind he allow us to get inside uh, we built a warehouse we bring equipment machinery to do all the testing and and he's been very very supportive to to find solution for saving time for them and and try to to generate some byproducts from the from the fiber yeah from the pineapple the fiber yes this is sounds fun actually yes yeah so we've got the pictures there the yes. team very good. And the pineapple is at what stage is it there? It's... Uh, they have 10, uh, 10 hectares, so like um, 27 acres, and they crop every month. Um, normally in one bay, uh, there are around 13 to 14,000 plants, but they crop twice every 18 months. And sometimes uh, we can get in every month. We can get in and, and extract with the potential to extract uh, between 13 to 26 tons of agricultural waste per bay. Then uh, basically that gives us a lot of material to to both the, We can do the same thing from plus fashion, consequently ending up in landfills. The chemicals used in the making of those products affecting our oceans. That's great. So I think Jeff's got a video there. A video? Yeah. With the... Sorry. Yeah. Did you hear that? <laughs> I did, yes. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> it shouldn't have come through. Yeah. Fibers from crops. Is that showing on the screen? Or? It will be, that's it. Yeah. So we're just about to show you a, a video of um, showcasing 
the pineapple. fibro, the pineapple product. So just as a quick backstory, about two years ago, yes. Maurizio, I gave you a very precious gift, which is my kombucha mother. Yes, I remember that. What? And you said you were going to grow her in the bathtub. I've been growing that, and I give it to a lot of people. And what happened with her? What's what is what has she become now, my kombucha? She's mother been she. like a three or four big uh, mother plant, mother uh, kombucha. <laughs> Huge. But what has she become? Is somebody wearing her now, or has she become makeup? <laughs> what is this? What have you turned her into? I, I wish they may. There is a, a company they they want to try to use uh, kombucha, just the fungus, to to create some leather jackets, styles, yeah, leather, yeah, like yeah. a leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. This is the fashion. Whereas you've decided to go for pineapple. We'll watch the video first, and then I'll ask you why pineapple, not kombucha. All right, let's okay. do that. <laughs> From fast fashion, consequently ending up in landfills. The chemicals used in the making of those products affecting our oceans. We live in a time where consumerism is at an all-time high. This is causing a great negative impact on our environment and our planet. My name is Ray X Murillo. I am the co-founder of FIBO, Farming Innovation by Product Operations. So what is FIBO? By utilizing new and existing technologies to innovate new methods for the collection and processing of raw fibers from crops and Australian first, we aim to introduce commercially scalable fiber for export to international markets, including fashion textiles, furniture, automotive, medical and construction, just to name a few. Our goals in the next six to 18 months are to capitalize on unvalued agricultural waste, starting with pulp, pineapple leaf fiber, spearheading a completely new industry for Australia in sustainable textiles. We aim to work closely with Australian and international farmers to increase the number of harvests per year. This will be done by clearing agricultural waste from their crop fields efficiently, allowing farmers to get on with the next harvest immediately, meaning an increase in productivity, personal time off, and yearly earnings of up to 30% for our farmers. And as a result, we will see an increase in puff production for FIBO, securing volume, quality, and consistency of market-ready fiber. We at FIBO are calling this agricultural mining. Presently, there are no companies in Australia producing PALF in a scalable model, let alone commercialized for global distribution. Around the world, we see only small communities in remote areas processing around 7 to 10 kilos per day with no automated machinery or scalable distribution channels. This means with our machinery having the capability of processing half a ton per hour, we aim to be clearing one farm every 33 days. With over 800 pineapple farms in Australia alone, equaling approximately 40,000 acres and averaging 202.5 tons of clean processed pulp per farm at $15 a kilo, FIBO has the opportunity to capitalize on a $2.4 billion untouched industry. That's an average of 3 million per farm every 18 months. So how did the idea for FIBO come about? In 2016, I was based in London and having just started a sustainable clothing company, but lacking on the supply chain for the raw material to make our garments, with only one startup in Southern Asia supplying PALF, I saw an opportunity at home to not only capitalize on a new textile industry, but also a chance to make a sustainable and profitable impact on our farming practices. Along with my father and our co-founder, Mauricio Murillo, a biotechnologist with over seven years of byproduct and composite experience behind him, we are strongly committed to seeing this vision and scale up for global export by the end of 2019. 
Bebo will be the leader in this field where others lack technology, know-how and partnerships. We will succeed both at home and internationally. guys have done your research so yes that answers the question why pineapple not kombucha <laughs> uh actually i i did a lot of research about kombucha and kombucha takes a little bit more work in terms of um growing and there is a lot of um efforts uh in terms of um production while uh, you you find the agricultural ways especially pineapple puff everywhere and it's it's a it's a free resource and is is a problem for the for the farmers because they need to spend between 200 hours a, a year just cleaning the crops just to and fumigating and spraying uh insecticides and herbicides just for to prepare the soil for the next crop and that's why i thought yeah, we must go to something a little bit more sustainable in terms of agricultural ways we waste a lot. We don't use even 10, 50% on our crops. It's just everything is just waste. The way we buy in the supermarket, the way we were told that everything needs to be perfect, that's keep us as a, a way of buying seconds or maybe using other plants, other parts of the plants and, and obtain different other products. That's why we, we decide to go with with the pineapple. And it's Australian. <laughs> That's a local resource, yeah. And you've you've um you know we've uh, you've traveled all over the world with your um with your um other work with the coffee. So you've been to Vietnam and Uganda and Kenya. So you I think you know certainly compared to Jeff and me you've really had direct contact with the farmers on the ground who are trying to make a living. And as you traveled over the decades have you sort of you know, I, I know Richard Attenborough is quite big on that. He, he's, he can actually chart how things have changed through the 60s, 70s to now. Have you seen things get getting better for the um, really poor um, sustenance farmers or are things getting worse? I think it's getting worse. It's In getting a little bit yeah. worse. And uh, basically, um, there was an attempt to create a specialty coffees um, and there was a market for these coffees to be paid in auctions and, and be recognized uh, for the traceability of the of the coffee and the and how they benefit the the farmers and and the and the towns and the people. Mm. But in some ways, has been um, abused by lots of uh, international organization creating uh, fake certificates. They are not very fair. They charge six to eight thousand dollars to get a fair certificate of, of fairness, which is not fair, and also they charge uh, many other stuff. Um, I think there is a, a cash twenty two problems with the coffee industry and the way we pursue. Um, we we should um, not tolerate this anymore. We we should be more open into is see not just the traceability, but check. Um, because in Australia, there are two or three big importers and, and they sell everything online. And basically everything is based on, on, 
on quantity and price. It's you know about who is producing and, and what quality. It's all about uh, consumerism. And, uh, and this makes the coffee farmers uh, you know, getting the right pay. Yeah, I'm really interested in that. And you mentioned earlier that you that that your Mister Coffees, which is an online, um, we can basically buy online coffee that you pay higher amounts. I'm really interested because um, certainly back in 2008, um, uh, my mother and um, our family was quite involved in the whole fair trade, and Oxfam was as well in, in the whole fair trade movement, petitioning the Woolworths and Coles um, to basically stop fair trade coffee and chocolate and tea and so we kind of thought well that was a victory so I'm um, distressed to hear from you that behind the scenes is not really working it's it's, it's no it's a tool for selling it's a marketing tool that's pretty much it so it's when I go to BP and I buy a fair trade co rainforest alliance coffee that's nah that's not good enough in your nah, uh, nah. you've been there and what have you seen firsthand like uh majority of the certification the the money goes straight to the pockets or, or paying staff or people they they looking to compete uh, to get into big change and and, and and sell coffee in supermarkets and that sort of thing it's a tool for marketing that's mm. pretty much it yes it's not real, no. No, it's not. It's not enough. I think uh, if you really want to help the coffee communities, uh, the farmers, the best thing is to check what size of the of the rosters and check where they buy directly, and make questions when you go to your cafe and ask who. Uh, provide a coffee for you. What is this traceability? Why don't you show us and this and that? How much did you pay for this? And how much is the farmer getting? And a lot of people they want they want answer. Mm -hmm. They they can they cannot answer because they don't even have a clue. Mm -hmm. They just work for for the for the people to to please the the sake of uh, drinking good quality coffee. Uh, the rest of the world is struggling. <laughs> So when you um, when you yourself started sourcing these coffee fruit that you're using for the cascarage uh, tea, sort of, how did you source the select the farms from which you would be in, buying? In Australia, um, the, in the last year, in 2020, um, has been a big change in in the way people started thinking in in ways that they looking more about. Um, promoting sustainable um, local products. And I approached uh, Tom Mountain Coffee and, and they were throwing all this uh, cascara. But I think this year, I think they they, they trying to, to process by themselves, which is good because at least they start getting extra income. And, and we work with the small producers from Mount Tambourine and, and other crops in North New South Wales, and, and, and at least there they is their attempts of working and, and drying the coffee fruit. And I will say cascara tea, which is uh, coffee fruit tea, it will be become popular soon. Yeah, I hope so, because we'll um, help to, to maintain and support these uh, 
communities in Australia, they, they try to grow uh, good quality coffee as well and, and, and in the rest of the world as well. Um, a lot of people are, are trying to to change ways and, and I think it's a big upcycling community going growing very fast in, in America. Um, my daughter in Australia is, is using a, a lot of, of the extract uh, from the coffee uh, fruit that we supply and, and she's producing uh, coffee fruit bars. Uh, her company is called Ungrounded and basically they're going crazy because the amount of antioxidants in, in the fruit bar is amazing and there's no, no really caffeine there, it's, it's just nutrition and it's protein based, yes. Oh, there's so there's hope, hope, um, in terms of yeah, and so that's why you're pursuing doing the, the byproducts because that might give the farmers more money. Definitely, well. and definitely gives uh, recuperate at least twenty five percent of the of the cultural waste from coffee, and uh, that means instead of using nine percent, which is the bean, they will start using thirty four percent, which is the bean and the and the. Coffee which is good. I mean, will be ideal if they can use the leaves and that they can use the timber and they use another stuff. But it, at least they start using the, the coffee fruit and uh, still they need to refine the process. Uh, but it's a good start, yes. So you mentioned 40 products from coffee. So we've got the coffee tea, we've got the coffee scrub. Um, what, what we are a scab. Uh, from the coffee uh, plant, you can get the, the flowers as well. Sometimes you can make tea from the flowers, dry the leaves and make tea from the leaves. Uh, the timber, um, from some of the mucilage, you can extract some um, antioxidants. From the grounds, you get uh, lots of, uh, you get extract the caffeine as well. People use the coffee oil, uh, you also start uh, some colorants that can be used natural for the um, dyeing oh, yeah, industry. For yeah, yeah. yeah, for the hair, uh, just name it. There are lots of different uh, uses of different parts of the, the coffee has, which is a product after you roast. Uh, we, we process the coffee has and we are using it for Mixing with uh, coffee, the pineapple uh, waste, and creating the the eco pots. Um, basically, we it's just a lot of uh, potential, and, and we're happy to 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 give uh, people advice if they need uh, some help, and, and and we're happy to integrate the communities. I'm really happy to to be part of the cycling community in Australia if they want to to know more. Uh, happy to travel wherever they want and, and, and give some more uh, uh, information and, and engage people in, in this new um, upcycling conscious uh, products, my products, yes, definitely. All right, I've got this video ready to go. What's yeah. One? What's this one about? It's uh, from Uganda. Mm -hmm. Uganda? Mr. Yeah. <laughs> we are Escapa, a social enterprise application for the coffee world. 
with social, economic and sustainable impact that will improve the income and livelihood of all coffee growers by better forecasting the real situation of a coffee farm. After six years of research and trials, we launched in Uganda, a great place to showcase the benefits of SCAPA. We visited a large number of coffee farms and we were overwhelmed with their growth potential. SCAPAP can help you forecast an economic estimate when sustainable measures are taken, minimizing the economic and environmental risk. So, with this, we can empower farmers and open the doors to better business processes, including the benefits of coffee byproducts. So, who do we work with? Organic, non-organic, sustainable, non-sustainable, small, medium, large coffee producers. Our goal is to empower coffee farmers around the world to better understand the market in which their livelihood depends. Through education, the latest technology, and over three decades of industry experience, we aim to minimize the risk and maximize the profits of undervalued coffee farms, help them improve revenue, quality, and develop coffee byproducts as a whole additional avenue of income. We want to welcome you to implement and take advantage of all the benefits we offer, maximizing this opportunity at zero cost. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Hey, um, what reminds me is that all farmers, no matter where they're located on the planet, they all cop a raw deal, don't they? I mean, here in Australia, dairy farmers, I mean, they've had the They've been driven off their land because of Woolworths and Coles and their one litre milk prices. Um, we've seen cooperatives, you know, who've been whipped into shape by investment bankers who've told the cooperative, you know, if you sell your business to the corporation, you know, you'll get value for money for shares and all that stuff. Only to see, you know, <clears throat> the likes of that disseminate their uh, returns. We've seen in that industry. We've seen the meat industry. Um, where the uh, conglomerate came together and um, what? Oh, it's just really noisy. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so we've seen how running a Meatworks 24-7 has put out all the other cooperatives, meat companies that were providing an incentive for farmers in their stock and then they get a return on the kill and the actual overseas price. So, um, Corporations are, uh, might be operating in Australia, but actually having a basically a sales and marketing operation either in Singapore with um, a bank account in the Cayman Islands where they pay their tax in the sense of um, well wages and salaries and um, excise, excise tax, and then they're paying their import duty and products coming in. And then uh, superannuation, high levy, bloating, the fuel levy. I mean, there's tax, 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 and then at the end of the day, they get taxed on their profits. So they try to compete by remaining offshore. So it makes it extremely hard to sort of compete with those type of individuals who have got the likes of international accountants who are working in their favour to maximise their returns. It always seems to me that the actual individual who produces the product ends up with 10% of the actual sale price by the time everybody's come through the marketing chain. So 
how do you see yourself, if anything, to compete against that multinational, no boundary tax um, minimisation organisations? I mean, that's basically what you're coming up against, isn't it? Very, <laughs> very true. I think it's a change in mentality now. Um, they're not groups, small groups of people. They are um, pursuing buying local uh, food for life. Uh, basically, a small groups of upcycling. I think it's it's a new, a new uh, revolution. The the way we we need to um, educate how we're going to eat in the next 10 to 20 or 30 years. And the way we are doing, uh, polluting the planet with plastics and packaging and, and materials and process and chemicals and and everything else uh, is it needs to change, uh, is is damaging the the human health and it's it's not it's not sustainable. And uh, we need to start protecting our planet. We need to protect our bodies. We need to protect our income. Um, that's pretty much that we need to to start thinking more local. And um, definitely, uh, if we if we buy local, there will be a moment where these corporations, they have to change their mentality. And they start buying our small companies, but in some ways, uh, they have to change their strategy to, to market the product. They, they have to be more open and, and more direct. Um, yes, we'll yeah. take time. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a gra grassroots grassroot movement um, certainly when I go to the local markets, you know, I find that there's actually a lot of young people who are you know, growing mushrooms, like edible mushrooms, not the other type. Um, um, I bought some bulk organic pulses and lentils and they were completely unpackaged. They were just like, you know, in the old days in the markets and cloth and fiber. And yes. I just love that because I just hate going to the supermarket and buying stuff in plastic packaging. So a lot of people are going to the markets now and they want to know who they're buying it from. And um, I guess even when we're making our food now, you know, I sort of um, I made some nut clusters today, but with with macadamias that come from our tree, blueberries that are local yes. and unpackaged. And you know, I think if if we, you know, really not just sort of um, complain or sort of we, if we actually take action with those um, on a personal level, then hopefully. Um, there will be enough support and enough market for um, companies like yours that are trying to do the right thing and um, live sustainably. But we don't, uh, we've got bureaucracy. So, I mean, um, if you're importing coffee from Colombia, I mean, you would have come in through quarantine here and you'll get samples taken away to get lab tested. Um, don't want to know the labelling requirements of where it's been produced and the expiry date. Uh, the, um, the ramifications for someone like Mauricio bringing in a, a food product into Australia, um, it's almost like you have to have the product as a finished product rather than in a raw form. So, I mean, but that comes back to natural foods being grown in your own area that you know, merges with your own vitality for your own physical uh, immune system in it. So, mm. wherever you go, you have some sort of roadblock that's been put up by some interested party to create a public service. That's just how I see it. 
But for, for someone like yourself, Julie, you go to the markets and you see all the raw product there, you know, it'd be something good or somebody complain and say, oh, you need labeling on that. You know, so the cost of having someone just sitting here putting a little label on a banana, or they do with, with oranges and stuff like that. It's just another, it's not, we don't want that, do we? We want that fresh produce to come straight through from the farm to the actual end user. At the end of the day, just a logistic chain that needs to be looked at and how do you sustain the product in cold storage or other form of um, refrigeration to maximize its longevity. Otherwise, you know, you've got waste again, which is another fact that you have to build into your cost at the um, end user in it. So the farmer might say 10 cents and then you might see that the end product is a dollar and of that dollar, you know, 30 cents might have been gone and wasted because the product when it got to the to the shelves of coals or woolies or wherever mm. has degraded. You know, so a lot of people need to take into account the whole logistical chain. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough bloody call, isn't it? When you start looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think basically with uh, with the way um People are uh, trading now. There is an opportunity to buy directly from farmers now. Uh, you can buy now the communities. Um, I, I know that there are people they sell a package of uh, fruit and veggies, uh, organic. And they produce and they can be delivered to your place. You just go into online and order. I think there is a good trend to support the locals. In some ways, they will make uh, people to to get more benefits and more nutritious uh, products, and and you don't really need to match a product because uh, even you buy less because the price maybe is higher, the quality uh, in in uh, vitamins and, and minerals is very high, and and you don't have to worry uh, keeping in the storage in a refrigeration and and wasting energy and, and, and time and, and throwing his, his stuff at the end of the week because you don't have time to cook or something like that. It's, it's just use what you need and educate yourself and just buy what you need and, and, and try to change your, your habits or ways that you buy your food. So instead of trying to get into the supermarkets, just support the local ones. I mean, maybe they are supermarkets, they start changing. I see a tens of, of some supermarkets getting into organics, but um, I think it's a good way to to start thinking. Not supporting uh, these big organizations to tell you what to eat and how to eat and when to eat and how to store and everything else. It's just your decision, your your body, your soul, is you is you. Everything and and if you don't have uh, control over your yourself, uh, then you, who else, <laughs> giving everything to to organizations to control? No, I think it's good time to start um, at least uh, having the right to to buy what you need and everything else. When they they will they will go away uh, once we start changing our habits. Uh, they they will see it's no it's no support it's no viable in terms of uh, monies uh, it's no profitable then they will change it they will say that this is not the right way we we need to find another way and 
the time they will find another way is it's too late. So more people like joining this new upcycling and, and clean movement. Yeah. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I think if we, we exercise our own independence in terms of like, yeah, deciding what we're going to eat and where we're going to source it from and how, whether we want it packaged or not, processed or not, local or not, um, that, you know, that we, we are, the consumers are king technically, the markets, you know, the, 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 the corporates or the suppliers will follow. And if we can help our local pineapple and coffee growers and um, and uh, cane growers yes, um, diversify, which they need to, because <laughs> at the moment <laughs> the equation isn't stacking up for us or for the environment. You know, I think it's great. We've got, you know, you've got the brains, the innovation, you've got young people. You're looking for people at the moment to, to join the team, I understand. Yes, yeah. yes. Basically, we're looking for um, people that want to join our team. They can contact me. We have different... Um, um, possible uh, jobs um, available in the near future, which is one, two, three months. Uh, we need people in the farms. We need uh, people, they, they come with the skills to help us in the logistics and also helping us uh, with the research. We're very lucky that we have a, a team of uh, mainly international um, students that were trapped here with the, because the coronavirus, but we managed to integrate at least one or two locals now, which is great. And uh, if we can get support from the farmers and the communities, um, and we can teach them what to do, and we can transfer that technology, and, and we are happy to to start integrating that knowledge into more and more people, and, and definitely we can uh, create new upcycling products, more local, more benefits, more income. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and I think farmers always, um, yeah, I think it's great news for farmers. They're always trying to, I think most farmers you talk to, they really don't, they really care for the land. Um, they, and they will do anything they can to try and keep it going unless it really just becomes completely uneconomic and and um, then they have to give up. So if someone like you with, you know, a younger international team that also has the R&D and experience as to how to upcycle or use the, you know, the byproducts and um, give them other opportunities there, well, I think that's that will they should be able to get in touch with you and um, explore. There's no harm in exploring and see what's possible, you know. Yeah, yeah, there is potential everywhere. Even uh, even with any other ways, we, we can uh, uh, do some some work with uh, other uh, organization. They they're trying to to clean their towns and yes, I think it's a it's a good uh, moment to to think about uh, the potential for for the Australian uh, jobs. Um, especially for young generations to come and get involved more into local um, processing and the materials as well. All the materials that, that we we processing and basically obtaining uh, can be converted in many, many other things. And yes, huge potential, huge potential. Bioplastics is one of them. Um, 
all the packaging material for uh, for products to be export or to be consuming in other uh, uh, ways, supermarkets. This is an example of a eco pot, which is uh, avoid any plastic, and the plant will eat the, the pot and integrate into the soil. We're experimenting with uh, coffee waste and pineapple waste and sugarcane waste, and um, so far we are managed to start integrating in some local markets. If, if, if people are interested to get these eco pots, we're happy to provide the materials and we teach them how to make it. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting because I think there will be more um, people making things themselves, artisans and hand weavers and creators in fashion. So, Jeff, you reckon anybody in New Zealand might be interested in any of this? Um, what component? Because um, New Zealand's probably well ahead of the curve, um, and because it's a small country, mm -hmm. it has to, it learned to be innovative when it didn't have the actual overseas currency. Like all countries, like South Africa, when they were placed under sanctions, they became made they made just self-reliant. So. New Zealand was one of those countries that became self-reliant. So you'll find that the, the Kiwi went into all these different, um, well, foods, you know, they're growing all these different um, crops and turning into, like, wines or, turning, you know, like fermented wines, fermented drinks or fizzy drinks and stuff like that. I mean, they're quite, they're quite innovative, but it's a small country, so... Logistically, it doesn't take long to get to the major markets. And if you can buddy succeed in New Zealand, then you can succeed anywhere in the world. Because if you can be in the Auckland metro area and, and get your product down to Invercargill, just that logistical chain to get there and the distribution chain, if you can buddy make that work, then you can make it work anywhere. If anyone's watching the show from New Zealand, though, I think it'd be well worth reaching out to um, Mauricio. And, and um, I'll just put up um, his mobile phone there. Um, where did it go? Yep. Uh, where did it go, actually? So people can contact, there you go, ring. Yeah, there you go. See. Uh, we, we have um, our website as uh, fibergroup.com.au. Uh, you can go into that website. We also uh, have Instagram, fibergroup.com. I think that they use well. Uh, you can follow us in uh, LinkedIn or you can follow us in, um, I think, Facebook as well. Uh, we're going to start um, a series of uh, uh, videos, um, educational videos about the byproducts um, and basically teaching people very basics how to use it and, and, and uh, where to obtain this things and they, they can contact us through mrcoffees.com coffees with the s mrcoffees.com um, and we can um, help with the coffee industry as well or, or with the any other thing we working with cocoa cacao or we also working uh, with the sweet potato as well we're doing some attempts to dry some fruits um, we got some interest from the New Zealand people um, a long time about some some fruit and veggies. They, they can be processed in a new method. 
explosion and, and make it more into um, drying in a, in a way they can obtain a little bit more um, nutrients. But I think what you say is true is uh, New Zealanders are very innovative people. And I, I think they, they've been uh, showing the world the, the capacity of, of, of producing different stuff. But I think we need to start doing exactly the same here in Australia and, and uh, living by example. <laughs> the only issue with New Zealand is that um, in the Southern Hemisphere, it's, um, if you're going for its Northern Hemisphere neighbors, I mean, it's um, the transportation costs to get it into those European, North American, Asian markets. You know, so you have to work together. I remember years and years ago, um, the shipping industry is considered to be a cartel, an illegal cartel. Uh -huh. <laughs> because um, when originally the shipping started to come into Australia and New Zealand, it only come for the, the wool or the meat season. Um, as a result, they weren't here for you know, six, seven months of the year. So the early Federation politicians who had life skills, not university degrees, shall I repeat that statement again? Politicians with life skills and not with degrees <laughs> from universities who made Australia where it was today because they had common sense. So the common sense was, well, we came from British stock and that's who we know and we know we can trust them if they were to give us a bill of exchange. And as a result, they put an order in and they got a bill of exchange. We could trust them to pay the bill. And so those Cuddy Sark ships would come down there, we'd load them up with bales of wool and some meat, salt meat, send it off. And the next time the ship came, we got our money. Yeah, so. The thing here is that the Commonwealth actually helped and assisted Australia and all the other Commonwealth countries to actually trade and, and do commerce and business with each other. And of course, the other colonials up there in Europe, particularly you know, the Germans and the Dutch and the Belgian and the French and the Spanish all come down the African coast or into the Caribbean or South America to do their trade. So we all built relationships on people who we knew. So this whole concept of selling a product it's nothing new, but when our early Federation politicians with common sense said, right, how are we going to get these shipping companies to come here 12 months a year? So they sat down with them and said, look, how about you take this away and come up with a concept where you can bring a ship or ships throughout 12 months? And so they came up with this concept of a conference. So there's three people in the studio, so each of us have got two ships each, and then we would proceed to put them in an Indian file. So Mauricio, your ship would go this week, and two weeks' time, Julia's ship would go, and then another two weeks after that, my ship would go, and then two weeks after that, Mauricio's. But in order for that to take place, each one of us gave space on each other's ships. So we had our clientele, and we could actually then um, offer space on each other's ships. So as a result, the conference became the only legal cartel in Australia and New Zealand, and that's how we got our shipping to come into here 12 months a year. So as a result of that logistical system, Australia prospered. And, um, and today, Australia and New Zealand basically down there at the bottom of the Southern Hemisphere. But if it wasn't for um, the British and before we went into the European Union, there's guys like Thomas Borthwicks and Waddell um, with their chain of butcher shops and so forth. They set up the, the meat pastoral industry in Australia and, and that kicked up kicked us right along quite substantially. 
our sugarcane industry was wiped out purely by the European Union with a, um, a subsidy for sugar beet. And of course, once the Europeans got into sugar beet, they had all the sugar, and that sort of basically forced the price of sugar down, knocked out our own sugarcane growers here in Australia and the Caribbean. So um, and that was just artificial stimulus by um, subsidy. I mean, farming is always you know, impacted by certain individuals. I mean, in, in Japan, the car industry, you know, they've made inroads into the, the world market with fine engineering. But you try and put an Australian agricultural product into Japan, boom, you're going to get met with those closed doors. you got to jump over hoops and all that stuff. It's not a level playing field because the rural economy of Japan is very much integrated with their society. So, you know, farming is, you know, might be farmed on a quarter of an acre, might be on a hillside, but, I mean, the, the Japs don't give a hoot. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I think everyone's going to do what they can to protect their farmers. And um, I guess, Maritza, with your company, we've got an opportunity for us as individual consumers to actually help or, you know, um, you know, support our farmers by looking for those new products that they're creating um, as, a, as an additional product to, to the stuff that they're selling <laughs> into the cartel <laughs> or outside of the cartel. So, yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's a good good thing to think to to protect our local produce, especially because Australia has lots of uh, native uh, produce. They have a uh, lots of different uh, fruits and 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 things that you cannot find anywhere. And I think it's it's good time to to start thinking locally in terms of uh, it's just generating just not the income from these crops, but also the they buy products they, they can generate, like avocados, uh, macadamias, uh, all this stuff that can be processed uh, locally and, 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 and uh, upcycling. Yeah, and yeah. You'd, you'd be surprised, you know, Byron Bay and all that. Um, Chris Hemsworth is so famous that I was in Colorado two years ago and some yogurt company from Noosa is selling really well in Colorado. Wow. Because... Of Chris Hemsworth and how popular he is. So, you know, I think it could work both ways. Yes. Colorado is the largest grower of uh, cannabis. Huh? <laughs> That's why they like yogurt from New York. They're beautiful. They've got the mountains. Yeah. I was in Vancouver, BC, going through the, um, oh, the Canadian side to go into the American uh, side, and uh, Chris Hemsworth in the same, um, you know, you go through it. The lines to go to customs. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you could hear his accent. You could hear ours. You know, and as you know, you just don't acknowledge. Um, you just go and make, you know, move on, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Don't go and ask for an autograph. <laughs> hey, um, well, Mauricio. Okay, so the dream is what? The dream today, coming on the radio, so and people watching is to say, listen. Um, I've put my head up. I'm a bit like those meerkats. I've put my head up. I'm looking around. Yes. Seeing what's going on and then realizing, okay, um, we've got something here that we can turn the 6 million tons of waste into something that's going to be a biodegradable biomass, whatever you want to look at it. I mean, the Rocky Point sugar mill down here uh, in Queensland, just down the road of Gold Coast, they went to biomass as a form of um, fuel, um, yes. electricity. 
of course, you know, the encroachment of um, suburbia has seen a, a demoralisation, I suppose, of that industry purely because, you know, the sugar canes have been swept up by developers and they're getting more money than they would have done working in the sun, <laughs> planting sugar cane harvest and sugar cane. So it's, it's always comes down to the dollar in the end of the day. Um, unfortunately, that's our know, society has been created that dollar is the dollar is the dollar, isn't it? So. Yeah, I think the dream today is to open the eyes and start dreaming awake and uh, knowing what is around you and you what can you upcycle, uh, how can you become a little bit more uh, connected to, to local communities and engage with that sort of produce and, and get the best of benefits from from the locals and, and um, use um, basically more sustainable um, byproducts. Um, I think that's a dream. And uh, I think that dream will become reality. I know in Russia, um, they've got Dutchers, isn't it? So Russians have allocated uh, a plot to grow um, fruit and veggies. And it was through that that sustained um, Russia through two world wars. Um, and of course, England has the same with their community gardens. I know that here in um, Logan City, which for those people listening would be between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, they've got um, community gardens at Marston, Crestmead, but there's also the Logan Food Growers um, run by Lynn Buffett. And they do little mini tours around um, within a 60 kilometer radius so that people can see how people have sustained um, a little property in terms of what they can grow based on the pH of the soil and how to um, add nutrients to the soil and bring the minerals and some have actually gone a bit step further and are using the elementals of divas which is the spiritual world and working with them and pan and it's quite a, a depth to it I mean anyone who's followed Rudolf Steiner would understand where we're going with the subject or if anyone has been followed the Fintorn community up in Scotland would really learn a lot about how to um, bring all the various kingdoms and work together and bring in nutrition. I mean, at the end of the day, it is nutrition and it starts from the food you grow and what's in your soil or what's in the water as you, um, if you're using um, water farming or air farming, these new techniques, and then bringing that vitality through the food chain because we're part of the food chain. And at this moment in time, we're actually eating, um, what would you call it, dead food. <laughs> totally true. Yeah. Totally true, yeah. The process, dead, uh, low vitamin, low minerals, everything is degraded by the, the genetically modified and all the experimentation they've been done because they're competing with uh, prices. And they tell us where to buy and how to buy. And if we choose to to grow our own, I will say and use all the ways and create composting or materials or benefit from those uh, crops we 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 generating as well. Definitely, um, I think uh, people would be more uh, healthy um, and more. Um, smart they, they can get more less spending of, of money they can use the money in, in, in a wise way of buying what they really need and no superficial 
buying. I think it's time to start taking our future in, in our hands and open the eyes and be a little bit more conscious about no wasting and upcycling. It's a new work and uh, it's not recycling, it's upcycling, which is more giving the, the use of um, putting a new product or anything mm-hmm. about and, and all the uh, benefits of those products. We can upcycle in different stuff. We can upcycle furniture. We can upcycle anything, basically. But if we upcycle agricultural waste, which is 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 the the main ways we it's more polluted now than even the the plastics and everything else because they they are fumigated every day and they they have to be clean and they have to be rotten and, and it's a lot of water and energy waste and, and we always see we put the eyes in the plastic but it's still plastic is a big problem but agricultural waste is a bigger one it's 90 percent of the waste of what we produce we throw or we leave it or we don't use it and we're complaining because it's not enough resources we don't want to see that's it yeah. yeah. Well, right. So thank you for um, yeah opening our eyes to that. I didn't actually know that about agricultural waste and you know what they have to do to try and get rid of it so that they can grow the other crop. But um, yeah, dead food. I agree with you both, gentlemen. I keep I keep on opening this jar and smelling it because it's just. <laughs> It's just so beautiful, it's so, so alive. And so, Maritza, thank you for coming on the show, showing us it's possible you're wearing you're wearing an upcycled shirt, you know, yes, from Fiverr. Yes, yes, I am. Fed us the tea. <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show and showing, you know, everybody that it is possible to follow that dream. Yes. Thank you for inviting me and today, and I hope um, I can give her some help and advice. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Jeff. I think that what you're doing, uh, Living the Dream, is an amazing program, and I think everyone needs to start doing that, Living the Dream. Yep. Great. Thank you. Living the Dream, everyone. Thank you very much.